Hey, welcome back to the Assode Blocks podcast channel. And we do fun foundational transformational Torah here. That's pretty much the whole point of this channel. And uh, this particular episode is part of the Nefesh Chaim series as we go through the book Nefesh Chaim, which is Rav Chaim Velazhner's um, magnum opus, his big uh, work in which he basically condenses all the teachings of his teacher, the Vilna Gon, all the Kabbalah concepts into a structure so you can really understand how they all intersect with each other and connect properly. Um, it's a great gateway primer into the world of Kabbalah in general and all the deeper sides of the Torah. And so uh, this particular section, we're in Parak Ches, which is chapter 8. We did the first half in the previous episode. This is episode 16 in the series. And um, you can obviously check out all the previous episodes if you want to catch up on those things or just jump in and also check out lots of other stuff on the YouTube channel. And uh, those same episodes actually from the YouTube channel are also in audio form on this podcast channel as well. So the last time that we, uh, the last episode was sort of dealing with this question because the Nefesh Chaim right now is not really a tangent, it's sort of like he's setting up um, some information for us to more deeply understand the concepts he was discussing earlier. And earlier the main focus was on the, uh, the, the dynamics and structure of what we call the intersection between you, the fragment of consciousness that you are, and the larger network and framework of existence that is basically like a very complex intertwining network. And so we have these consciousness fragments or consciousness hubs, um, consciousness shards that are sort of scattered throughout the network, and we call those uh, people. So people are basically consciousness fragments that are strewn throughout the network, and those consciousness fragments are still linked to the central consciousness or to the total consciousness that we call Hashem, and then basically your life's journey is the process through which you figure out how you fit and where you fit into the larger framework and into the consciousness of Hashem and sort of like what aspect of Hashem's self you are here to express or propagate because Hashem is not really a separate self, a separate consciousness. Hashem is just your deeper self. And so we have sort of like uh, every consciousness fragment is a little bit different and has a slightly different energy and, and texture and signature to express and manifest and, and radiate out into the network. And so we were discussing here in, in um, Chapter 8 in Parakhes, basically there's this um, this issue with these two statues that were called the Kruvim that were on top of um, the Aron, which is sort of like the, the main um, container that sits inside of the Mishkan. The Mishkan is the original Beis HaMikdash. Beis HaMikdash means like the house of Hashem, that Hashem pretty much set up in Yerushalayim, in Jerusalem. He had a house. That was like Hashem lives on your block. He lives right nearby, and what that means is that like that's that place sort of like radiates Hashem's. It sort of represents Hashem's radiating self into the world. So that's Hashem's house, which is like a physical manifestation representation of Hashem's radiating His self into the world in that way. And so inside of the base of Mikdash, um, colloquially called today the Temple, so uh, which used to sit uh, right there on Har HaMoriah, the mountain of Moriah, which is basically currently occupied by uh, the Golden Dome, um, the Al-Aqsa Mosque. So that's uh, where the where Hashem had his house for a thousand years, let's say, and then uh, eventually was destroyed. Lots of backstory to that also, how, why it was destroyed and how what we did to lead to that outcome. But the point is that inside of there, there was this um, special room. Was, we call, think of it as the bedroom of the house, and inside that bedroom, 
So the two lovers that dwelled inside that bedroom are represented by the, well, they didn't actually dwell there, but there's a representation of the, of the lover relationship between Hashem and uh, the descendants of the family of Israel. And the family of Israel basically is the, are, they're supposed to be the ones who are the, the partners with Hashem in spreading the concepts of truth and deep spiritual connection with the larger network and sort of to help all of the different brothers and sisters, what we call the other fragments of, of consciousness, the other people, how to sort of connect themselves to that network more and more accurately. So we're supposed to be the ones who are um, can, you know, kind of containing and purveying the knowledge of reality, knowledge of existence uh, at a very deep level. And so we've on and off been doing that for 3,000 years, um, sometimes in a better way, sometimes in a worse way. But this is really like the, you know, you can think of us as uh, like the, the family of Israel is basically like supposed to be the carriers of this truth and this wisdom into the world. So what we have in this part right here essentially is this, um, this concept of, the, of these things called the Kruvim. The Kruvim are these statues that represent uh, Hashem and his relationship with the family of Israel. And that's supposed to be their bedroom, which is that main room inside. That it's like the most private space inside of the temple, inside the base of Mikdash. So, those kruvim, the uh, the way they're set up is that they face each other, uh, or according to some opinions, they are slightly angled off to the side. But the crazy part about them was that they would actually um, reflect the status or the particulars of the relationship between the family of Israel and Hashem um, during different different time periods. So they would actually um, literally move and if there was a distancing between Hashem and the people of Israel so then the Kruvim would distance themselves and they would actually you know turn away and 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 that was something which was a, a miraculous event whenever that would happen and so you could kind of get a sense of what the situation was between um, between Hashem and the people of Israel and their relationship just by looking and seeing what those statues are doing so that's a longer discussion which we're going to go into a little further down the line but the point right now is that um, the Nefshachim ended off in the pre when we where we stopped in the last episode was how uh, there's this problem because the text in the Torah says that um, in a context where we are uh, doing things that are we are essentially acting as as the spouse of Hashem in the world we're doing we're living the way that we're supposed to live in certain terms of being the carriers of this wisdom and we're not getting stuck in fragmented perspectives and getting into distorted headspaces and we're not getting distanced from ourselves and from Hashem but we're actually living in a way that is really in harmony with Hashem and we're we're um, sort of acting as channels to bring Hashem's light and presence into the world for everybody to encounter uh, so that, that's the context of the paragraph that the Nefshachim is analyzing in the Torah. We say that paragraph twice a day in the Shema that we say uh, in the morning and in the evening. So um, but then it says in the context of that paragraph, it says the phrase, that you'll collect your grain. And uh, the question is, well, what is that talking about? So there's these two opinions. And according to Rabbi Ishmael uh, in the Talmud, so Rabbi Ishmael says that, well, what it means is you're supposed to actually, while you're, while you're um, teaching and, and learning all these wisdoms, you're supposed to also spend a little bit of time making sure to take care of your body. So that obviously involves harvesting grain. And then we have Rabbi Shem Bar Yochai, he's the other, other opinion who says, no, what's supposed to happen is that you're supposed to actually, um, when you're when you're learning at a high level and you're acting as a spiritual guide and spiritual leader, then what ends up happening is that other people will sort of take care of the um, physical needs of your life, and they will sort of trade that with you for your spiritual depth and guidance. And so, 
That's our that's Rishon Bar Yochai's opinion, and he says, so when is it that you're the one who's going to be collecting your own grain? So Rishon Bar Yochai says that's only when you're actually not living in harmony with Hashem. If you're living in harmony with Hashem, so then other people will be helping you with those things. When you're living out of harmony with Hashem, then you have to do it yourself. And so the Nefshachim asks, and it's very strange because the paragraph itself is actually uh, referring to a context where you're actually living in in, in uh, harmony with Hashem. So why would it throw in this line in the middle that says, oh, you have, you have to collect your own grain? According to Rishon Bar Yochai, that line refers to a context where you're not living in harmony with Hashem. So why is it mentioned in a paragraph where you are living in harmony with Hashem? So that's where we were. And the, it's on page 28 in the standard edition, um, page Chafchet. And in the middle of the page, it says, Aval ha'inyan, which means now he's going to be answering this question, explaining uh, how this paragraph is functioning. So let's continue from there. Aval ha'inyan, the way this works is, the issue is, Ki das That means, certainly, Rabbi Ishmael, who's the first opinion, Rabbi Ishmael is the one who said that you, uh, you learn and teach, but you also spend a little bit of time um, dealing with your physical needs. So he says it certainly does not mean, or Ishmael does not mean that you actually take breaks from learning and teaching Torah in a real way. In other words, it doesn't mean you just stop learning and teaching and and getting spiritually deeper in order to take care of your body. Uh, You don't stop at all. and then to take care of your financial needs. And that would mean that during that time you would actually uh, completely stop doing any involvement with Torah. It certainly can't mean that. Omnam, Ramazor Rabbi Ishmael, Rabbi Ishmael hinted to what he meant in his language. He was very he said very specific words. What did he say? He said, You should relate to the Torah um, through the natural way of being. Like Derech Eretz means kind of like the way of the world or the way of the land. And so there are certain like natural laws woven into uh, the physical universe. One of them is that if you have a biological body, it needs sustenance, it needs food, it needs to like, you know, take care of itself, otherwise it dies. So basically he's saying, that the way you should relate to the Torah and teaching and learning Torah is that you should be uh, doing it in a way that is in harmony with the natural order of the world. Rotzelomar imahen, he means, and he says that what he means to say, the word imahen, uh, it means like with them, like you should be doing this with the Torah, imha Torah. In other words, you should be trying to take care of your financial needs while you're learning Torah. That means that, that during the during those times, those brief periods, where you're dealing with your financial needs, which is required so that you don't die, so that your body can continue to, to exist and grow. Um, however, it just should be like that in your thoughts, you should be thinking about Torah concepts. Now, what that means, sometimes people look at that and they think that means like, oh, you should just like, um, don't focus too much on the work you're doing and just think about some other things that are in contrast, like, you know, you think about some different halachos, um, which means like the practical ways of living the Torah lifestyle, or just pick like a Torah, a set of Torah thoughts and just think about them while you're going about your work. It doesn't really mean that exactly. It could also mean that, but that usually leads to a fragmented existence where you experience Torah and your work and your, you know, attempt to, to create uh, some level of financial um, livelihood for yourself. So it comes out like those things are opposites, or like they're kind of in conflict with each other. Like I got to I got to think about my job right now, but I also need to think about, you know, the Torah concepts that I sort of said I'm going to think about. And then it seems like they're in conflict. That's not really what this means. It means that, that like, the deeper level of doing this, the way it really should be, and very much the way it can be, the more you learn 
um, deep Kabbalah and deep Torah to help you really sort of see uh, the world very clearly. So what happens is instead of you um, having to actively think Torah thoughts that are very specific, you start to develop an overall perception of the world and of reality that is a Torah perception, which means that like, for example, when you see another person, so instead of seeing a person, you could see a consciousness, an endless self, that you sort of see in a certain way, almost like flowing out through their eyes and through their actions and their physical expressions. And you just see that and then you're, you, it automatically triggers like a set of thoughts of like, well, how's, how does that work? And like, what are the, what's the layout and the map of how, how consciousness is structured? And, you know, like all, all of halacha and all of the mitzvot are all essentially just um, physical expressions that are in harmony with the truth of the underlying self and you know and then you can start thinking about specifics of that too and like that's like you know if you see somebody who's wearing tzitzis which is like the four corner garments that um that we wear which have strings on the end so you look at that and you can actually see well what, what does that mean and you know how does that interconnect with the concepts of the conscious self that is sort of buried or hidden underneath the physical body and you can sort of use the strings to sort of climb inside of that um, into the deeper spaces, which is what the strings are actually for, which is a longer discussion, but the point is that it is possible to do that, and when you think that way, then instead of it being like these are two conflicting areas, it's like, actually, no, Torah is simply a way of seeing existence, and you can just develop that perception instead of it being that there's a conflict. So that's what Rabbi Ishmael is saying here, that you should not stop learning uh, while you're taking care of your, your physical needs, but you should um, try to incorporate a way of seeing existence that essentially unifies those things. And Rav said to his students in Masechus Brachos, the Talmud again, um, He says, Rav would tell his students, Rav was one of the, the Torah masters um, um, in the time of the Gemara, so he would tell his students during the times of Nisan and Tishrei, don't appear before me. Because um, that was those were times where there was a lot of things to do in terms of the setting up of the home. Because there's that's the time of Pesach and um, and uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot. So those were four different holidays that are during those time periods. And so there's a lot of uh, work to do to sort of take care of those mitzvot and sort of get the house ready and family situations and whatever. So he says, but what does he say? He says, don't appear before me. It means don't come to my base medrash. In other words, don't appear before me. Um, but But he didn't say don't learn then. He said don't appear before me. In other words, stay home and take care of what you need to take care of. But it doesn't mean they would just like not learn Torah anymore. Um, when they were at home, they would they would clearly, obviously, still learn some Torah during that time. They would just have to incorporate that somehow into their process of what they had to take care of for their homes. So that can't be that it just meant they didn't learn Torah at all. And and he says his his um, his understand his analysis of the text of the Talmud there is that Rabbi didn't say don't learn. He said just don't appear before me, implying do what you you don't normally do. Just not in front of me. Stay home and take care of things you need to, you need to take care of. It says also over there, There are many people who try to live like Rabbi Ishmael, where they try to incorporate their uh, livelihoods into their Torah life, and it worked out for them. There's many people who try to live like Rabbi Ishmael, where they did not incorporate Torah into their life, rather they did not incorporate their livelihood into the Torah life. In other words, they tried to learn Torah all the time and never focus on their livelihood at all. And he says, and it didn't work out for them. And he says, And you notice the text says, Harbe, um, like a lot of people this way and a lot of people that way. And he says, yeah, the, the, the word Harbe 
is very specific here. Because it's it's certain that if everybody, if most people would try, it's like it's it's impossible for most people to live like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, where they're learning the entire time and never dealing. Never have to take care of any of their work towards actually getting some kind of food or taking care of their bodies. It's impossible for most people to do that. Uh, that's what it says in Masechus Avos, which is another part of the Talmudic um, source material. That it says that anyone who tries to to um, learn Torah and live the Torah without having malacha, which means creativity that is designed to, to create value and then lead to you actually having um, the things that you need also financially and physically. So that that doesn't work. It doesn't last. So that, that's, that's if you try to do that, um, but if, if most people are trying to do that. But if you have a particular individual, who has the ability somehow to be involved in Torah the entire time. Um, so, so it's certain then that for that person, he has a responsibility to never separate himself from the Torah and constantly be involved in it and never focus on trying to take care of himself physically. If you have a way of doing that somehow where you're now set up that you have no reason really to be involved in Parnassah, so which means financial needs, so then there's certainly no excuse and no reason for you not to be involved in Torah all the time. That should be your main focus and your total focus really is just in that wisdom and exploring it and um deepening your understanding and your knowledge and the scope of your knowledge. And so, of course, like that's basically something which is rare because most of us need to um, provide for ourselves in some form physically. But if you're in a situation where you are done doing that, maybe you're retired or maybe you're, you um, financially manage to kind of make it past a certain point where now you can live off of your investments or things like that, so then uh, you pretty much set up a situation where now you don't need to do any of that anymore, then there's no excuse for you not to really be involved in Torah full-time. The Pasuk where it says that you're collecting your grain, so he's going back to his original question now, So yes, we said earlier that that Pasuk, you're collecting your grain, according to Rishim Bar Yochai, so that's referring to a context where you're not serving Hashem properly, and you're a person who, uh, like, and Rishim Bar Yochai thought, like, essentially says and believes that a person should try to not uh, involve himself in physical needs at all. That was his. That was his uh, his primary approach. Another Rishim Bar Yochai believed that the most ideal thing for you to do is to create a situation where you are not um, not busy at all with your livelihood. That you have a way of sustaining yourself. Um, other people will help you do it in exchange for your uh, for your spiritual guidance, and so um, or just in general, other people will help you do it. You'll find that there are, there are ways that you can be financially stable without putting in any more of your own time to deal with that. And he said, but when you fail to do that, so then that's when it's going to be vast the ganecha. You'll have to take care of your own needs, and that was and Rabbi Shmuel Yochai said that's that's when you're not really living in harmony with Hashem. And then the question was before, well, if that's true. So then why is that line inside of the paragraph of Vehaya, where it seems that the whole paragraph is talking about situations where you were living in harmony with Hashem? So how do you how do you resolve those two things? So he says, the phrase that you're collecting your grain, it's 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 sort of like a, it's a it's something which is found it, it's it's different from the rest of the paragraph of Behaya. 
What's the difference? Shakula nem rabelashon rabim. The whole paragraph largely is using the the tense of plural. In other words, it's the, in Hebrew there are plural words versus singular single word singular tense words, and so it's talking. The whole paragraph there is referring to. Um, you know, to you all, all of you will do this, all of you will do that, and this is what will happen to all of you. And then you have this one phrase, you will collect your grain, where the word is singular. It's not talking about a plural context. So you, the single person, will be collecting your grain. It's said in a singular language. That's why he understands it as saying that pasuk is, that particular phrase, collecting your grain, is referring to a person who is not living in harmony with Hashem. Um, when, and it's saying specifically a situation in which the person um, is not living in harmony with Hashem by not uh, involving himself or herself in Torah in a full-time way. So what that means is the fact that it's in a singular language, the reason why it's like that um, is because only only single people, in other words, only, as we said a minute ago, only individuals, specific individuals are able to really live Torah to that extent where they have no involvement on the physical side of things and, you know, dealing with their body's needs. So if you are one of those individual people and you are now forced to collect your own grain, so that means that you are now living out of harmony with Hashem's will and you should really take a look at what's happening in your life. Um, and that's really uh, that's really what that's that, that's how he resolves the problem. So the rest of the paragraph is in plural because that's talking about most people. And then when there's the one example in the singular language where it's talking about a person now collecting grain on their own, that's referring to a situation of somebody who could be doing um, more Torah and now has failed to do that. Um, and that's why in the first paragraph of Shema it says the language of with all of your financial ability, all of your power, and your your essentially your physical power. In other words, you're supposed to love Hashem with all of your financial power and ability. Uh, but in Parshas Vahaya, the second paragraph, which is the plural written paragraph, so the first paragraph of Shema is written in singular language also, and the second paragraph is written in plural language. So he says that in the second paragraph, it doesn't say it doesn't say with all of your financial strength. Why? Because the Parsha of Shema, which is the first paragraph, uh, was written in singular language. And an individual, um, if he's able to, has to fulfill the, the, the other Pasuk that we read in the previous episode, which says that the Sefer Torah, the book of the Torah, should never leave your mouth. Um, that means that exactly the way that it's written is the way that it is. It's, it should never leave your mouth. Um, that's why, and that's why it says in the first paragraph, um, in a singular language, with all of your finances, perush, bechomamoncha, all of your money, um, as it's written, b'mishnas sof brachos in the end of maseches brachos. So, ritzon alomar, what does it mean? Shlola sog b'parnasaklal that you should not really be involved in, fin- in, in financial needs at all. Aval parsha vehaya shnem rabbeleshon rabim, but the parsha vehaya, which is written in a plural language. That's because on a mass scale, so um, everybody to some degree is going to need to deal with their physical needs, uh, and they can't just spend their time learning Torah all the time. That's why the language of it with all your money is not written in the plural language in the middle paragraph. So now he's just doing a textual analysis here, which is just to say that the middle paragraph, the, the, the paragraph of Vehaya is all written in plural, and therefore it's only referencing, uh, that it's referencing everybody. And then in the paragraph of Shema, and also in the words Vesath of the Ganecha, so those are singular languages that are designed to uh, reference and relate to the specific people who are 
much more uh, intensely, um, we'll say, uh, learning-oriented or very deeply attuned to the Torah to the point where they can be incredible uh, leaders in this wisdom. And so everyone is really supposed to be part of this wisdom to a greater or lesser degree. But if you are a person who has that capacity, then you should really try to find a way to make your life focus on uh, on learning and teaching those things and to try to kind of rise above the, the financial situations, find ways around that to sustain you out and you're doing as much work in that area. Okay. So again, this is all background for where he's trying to set up right now. So don't get too lost in the details. It's important to know what he's saying here, but obviously we're building towards uh, the next pieces. And even though it's true that this this mass scale need to take care of our bodies is not really the most um, profoundly effective way to be, according to Rishim Bar Yochai, but Rishim Bar Yochai also he does not call that if you're a person who who has to, um, which is most of us has to take care of yourself financially, and spend some time um, you know accumulating financial resources so you don't so your body can be sustained. So that's not that's not called um, doing that which is not the will of Hashem, even according to Rishim Bar Yochai. Um, when you spend time working on financial resources. Assuming that you're obviously um, trying to deepen your knowledge and wisdom in the process of your livelihood accumulation. And they're thinking about Torah and about Yira of Hashem. Yira means awareness of the presence of Hashem. So here we're saying that you should be, you know, that's kind of what I was saying earlier, to sort of constantly develop the awareness of the presence of Hashem and the awareness of the presence of other selves and what exactly that means and to sort of contemplate that in the background even as you're working on whatever your projects are for your livelihood, but to sort of have that as a backdrop, a background perspective. According to Rishmael, this is really the ideal for, for most people is to do that. And their only argument between Rishmael and Rishmael Yochai is sort of like, what's better? Like, what's the what's the what's the more the more ideal thing? So, according to Rishmael Yochai, ideally, um, a person should learn all the time and teach all the time, and just not, and it should just be a Torah person, and there should be no real focus on livelihood. But most people can't do that, so therefore, you know, we sort of just we have we we are aware of that. According to Rishmael, it's like, well, the normal is actually to be the one who is spending time accumulating your livelihood and with Torah in the in the, in the constant background. But um, obviously, like, there's certain people who can do Torah all the time that, that, that also works. And so the Nefshachim sort of sets them up as really, in certain ways, being equivalent. Um, and there's just, there's, they're sort of just focusing on or emphasizing different, um, different elements and different paths here, um, sort of two sides of the same coin. So let's see if we can just finish this chapter now. We know that the Kruvim, one of them is, a, is an analogy or reference to Hashem, as we mentioned earlier already in this episode, that, uh, that the two Kruvim represent Hashem and the people of Israel. The second one of the Kruvim, Al Yisrael Skulaso, is, is to represent Yisrael, um, Israel. Uh, Skulaso means like his, his, uh, his special one, um, sort of like, you know, your significant other. And according to the closeness and, and connection and attachment between Israel and Hashem, or the opposite, um, so the, the opposite means distance and, and separation, 
You could actually tell and you could see the quality of that relationship based on the stance of the Kruvim. If they're looking face to face, and so ours is sort of looking directly at Hashem's. Well, meaning if our if our faces were to, were directed directly towards Hashem, then the Kruvim would also face each other. As a representation, if there were, if we were slightly turned to the side, and we were sort of with Hashem, but like focusing on th- other things also, that also be visible in the kruvim. Or if God forbid we were facing away from Hashem in our relationship, and we were showing Hashem the back of our of our necks. The kruvim also would turn around and face away from each other completely. Um, like it says in, in Talmud and Sechas Yuma, they used to they they used to um, roll back the um, covering of the bedroom of the special room called called the Kodesh Hakadoshim to show people to show people that the Kruvim were enwrapped around each other. Look how Hashem loves you, um, and the Kruvim represent your status of of connection and oneness and love between you and Hashem. So that's what the Kruvim represent. Let's read these three sources now from the Zohar that we're just going to go through pretty quickly, kind of bolstering this point, and that's how we'll wrap up this chapter. So the Zohar Truma, it says, Masa, skipping to the brackets where it's in Hebrew, Masahi Barachlim. Um, so when are they in a state of Rachlim? It means like a state of, of connection and mercy and oneness. Um, when the, the Kruvim are facing their faces, face to face, since the Kruvim are face to face, when the Kruvim face each other, so then all of the Gvanim, it means all of the like diverse parts and, and um, you know, sort of like the multiplicity of being is now repaired. It means that it's now all sort of fit into place. And so you can think of it as going back to our, our metastructure of the, of the conscious fragments and the network, is that when, there's, um, when the faces of the Kruvim face each other, that means that the faces of the, of the consciousness fragment hubs that, that we are and that B'nai Yisrael represents um, are all kind of properly plugged in and, and fitting into the larger network, like the puzzle pieces that we are, um, sort of like all integrated, and then that sort of fixes and balances all of existence. So that's when the Kruvim face each other, that's what that that's what that represents. So there you have the Zohar explicitly saying that concept that you have all these separate, diverse, multi, you know, multiplicity of beings that are all sort of fit together into one um, large puzzle network. Uparsha Achremos says also. Um, when the Kruvim would look one to the other, panim panim, face to face, kasov matov manaim. It's written about that. Matov manaim means like how good and how wonder, like how warm, um, how pleasant that is. But when the male turns its face away from the female, then that is that means there's going to be a lot of struggle, suffering, pain in the world because now the ch- like the male represents Hashem. And when the female is B'nai Yisrael, because the, the male generally represents the the flow of, of giving towards the receiver, which is the female. It's a much longer discussion what that is what that has to do with larger gender dynamics and what male and female means in the world and whatever, but we'll come back to that at a different time. The point here is that when that happens, so you think of it as the that's like the main hub is now um, kind of being refracted away from the fragments. Um, and there's now not a proper flow of, uh, of, of Hashem's larger self into the fragments and then into the larger network through those fragments 
through those hubs were not really succeeding in transmitting um, properly, and that causes destruction in the whole overall network. Uvezor Chadash in Parshas Truma says also, Vcholzman Shay Yisrael Zakaim, Hakruv Mayadvuk Ayadvukim Edveikos Panim Fanim. As long when Bnei Yisrael were like operating properly, the Kruvim would be attached face to face. Kevan Shayu Chotim when there were when Bnei Yisrael would sort of go off the rails with that and deviate from their purpose in reality. Then they would turn away from each other. Um, but so when so whenever Bnei Yisrael were actually on the right track, then the Kruvim would face each other. Based on the on the on what what the Kruvim were doing, that was one way for Bnei Yisrael to know uh, what their status was, like where they were holding in their in their uh, performance. So as it says, you're supposed to do this, the, all of the, the Torah spreading or Torah teaching that you know spreads the wisdom and depth of existence into the world. When you do that, you should do it besimcha, in other words, with a sense of, of joy, but it means like a sense that you're in the right place at the right time, being who you're supposed to be. And, that, and it says, that's, what, is that, what is that referring to? Simchasam shel shnei which is like embodied in the, in the close embrace of the kruvim as they are face-to-face hugging each other um, that's uh, that's what they would do, and that, that's so we're sort of saying like the us uh, when we live that in the way that expresses the truth, and the way that things really are. So then the kruvim represent um, that in their physical manifestation, which is like it's a, it's a joyous hug because it's like, again it's two lovers who are essentially intertwined with each other. Um, since Hashem's presence is sort of then filling the world. So um, then we and the Kruvim sort of go back into a state of, of simcha like that, of, of knowing that you're in the right place at the right time, being who you are. And then the whole world sort of fills with warmth and connection to Hashem. It feels like a warm place, not a cold world that is empty of Hashem's presence and empty of depth and meaning and purpose. So that's basically this chapter. Like I said, this is all setting the stage for Perak and further um, in terms of the interrelationship between the Kruvim as an analogy for the larger network that we've been talking about. Um, so this is just sort of giving a lot of background information. And then based on this, we're going to go further and understand more and more deeply how this network functions before we start getting into the next phases. It's sort of like, well, what's the practicals of actually aligning the consciousness fragment with the larger self? And then what exactly is the nature of consciousness and the nature of, this, of, the, of, a, of, a, of the master self? That's really the next couple of sections, but those are way further down the line to still do a few more chapters unpacking these ideas. So I hope you enjoyed that and that it was relatively clear and I look forward to seeing you in the next episodes.